Okay, uh, sometimes, I've probably only given this qualification maybe, I don't know, two times in five years. I'm in a really strange mood today, so um, I need you to pray for me uh, as, we, as we make our way through this text, and I just need God's help, and uh, as I always do, uh, particularly today, so uh, pray for me as, as we look at what God has to say to us. Um, we, uh, we know a lot of stuff, don't we? You guys know a lot of stuff, right? Um, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. You know, they tell us that there was a Stone Age and an Ice Age and a Bronze Age and an Iron Age and a Dark Age and a Middle Age and an Industrial Age, and I'm sure there were a whole lot more in there somewhere. I just wasn't paying attention in history class. Um, but you know what they call today? Anybody? It's the information age. We know more stuff than anybody's ever known before. And uh, I was sitting at my desk this week and I was thinking, I wonder what would come up if I just Googled stupid stuff. You know, just. And so, I, the first thing I Googled was inane trivia. Inane trivia. And I got 15,400 results just Googling that. I Googled worthless data. I got 232,000 results. I, uh, I Googled ignorant things. Um, I got 247,000 results. I Googled useless information. And I got 387,000 results. And I thought, well, I'm just going to Google stupid stuff. And I Googled stupid stuff. I got 1,050,000 results. We know a lot of things, don't we? <laughs> we know a lot of stuff. A lot of this stuff is uh, of limited or no value, but we know a lot of stuff. My question to you is, has all this information brought us, has it brought mankind in general um, any closer to ultimate truth? Yes or no? If you just observe the world, observe the culture, are we getting any closer to ultimate truth? In fact, I think, uh, I think modern man has regressed. Um, you know, the ancient Greeks, when they looked at their surroundings, when they looked at all that was around them, they used the word cosmos. Does anybody know what the word cosmos means? You know, Carl Sagan made it famous. Andrew? Okay, that's good. You know, Carl Sagan used it to talk about outer space and, and uh, that kind of thing, and that's the way most people use it these days. But if you actually look it up in the dictionary, cosmos means an orderly, harmonious, whole system distinct from chaos. The word cosmos communicates something. It communicates order. It communicates complexity. It communicates harmony. The ancient Greeks logically, rationally, intuitively beheld all that they could see and they discerned an architect. They discerned a creator. And to use to stay with the, the musical metaphor, uh, they discerned a composer. Modern man, on the other hand, he looks at all that's around him and he goes, Oh! It must have all come from nothing. Everything came from nothing. It just happened. We don't know how it happened. It's illogical, it's irrational, and it's counterintuitive, but it must have happened like that. 
I love what R.C. Sproul, a famous theologian in the U.S., I love what he says about it. He goes, it's a rabbit out of a hat. But without the rabbit, without the hat, and without the magician. Don't you love that? I think that's true. But modern man, it's almost like we, you know, we, we've taken a step back. Ancient, the ancient Greeks knew better than we did. The world wants to believe that it all came from nothing. And uh, I can hear Satan laughing. It's one of his best all-time lies. One of his most stupid, outlandish lies. And he's got us believing it. He's got some men believing it. I can hear him laughing. I can hear him laughing. I want to say to you, this is a great insult to God, for one thing. It's a great insult. This genius God who put this complex, beautiful, created order together. It's an insult to Him. And you know what it reduces man to, right? It reduces man to what? We're just grown-up germs. That's all we are. It's grown-up germs. And the philosopher Dostoevsky summed up the implications. He says, if God doesn't exist, everything's permitted. Is that not true? If it's just survival of the fittest, if we're just grown-up germs, if we're just, as Ruth Moore used to say, if we're just lucky mud, you know, what difference does it make? Could there be any connection, let me think, could there be any connection to the fact that this century, uh, in the 19th century, this theory was put forth, and the 20th century was the most brutal, bloody, murderous century in the history of mankind? Could it be? Could there be a connection there? You think of the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Maos and the Pol Pots, etc., etc., etc. But modern man has embraced this lie regarding his origins, and postmodern man is embracing a lie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago about truth itself that it's relative, that it's situational, that it's cultural. <laughs> I mean, did any of you take logic in college and university? You can't, hold, you can't hold two propositions that, are, that, are, that contradict each other at the same time. At least you used to, back in the 70s when I was at university, you couldn't do that. You would fail your logic exam. But somehow, men believe that you can, you can hold two contradictory, uh, contradictory beliefs. It's relative, it's situational, it's cultural. The Bible says that man has an aversion to truth, not because of his thinking capacity, but because of his moral capacity. Okay? The Bible makes this very clear. This is a moral decision. We talked about this many, many times. And, and I know I'm, I'm, this is going to be a long introduction, but my exposition of the text is going to be very short, so it's okay. Okay? Remain calm. We won't be here very long. We're probably always here longer than you want to be, but I, I, was, you know, I could preach till I fell over, but I understand. I understand that. Um, but... We saw it over and over and over in the uh, Gospel of John. It's not that men don't understand the Gospel. It's that they do understand it. And they will not submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a moral decision. It's a, it's a willful moral decision. It's not an intellectual one. Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I like what, the way Henry Blackaby says it, that great uh, preacher and evangelist and author in, in, uh, from, the, from the very big pink country called Canada. And he says, he says that, uh, he is from Canada, right? But it's not pink. It's, it's almost pink on every map. Anyway, okay. Um, but he says truth, truth, 
Truth is not a concept. What is truth? Truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. This is why the world has an aversion to truth. Let me just read you some, some Scripture. Okay, just a couple here. I, I, want, I, I want you to hear what the Bible says about man's aversion to truth. He suppresses it. We've talked about this verse many, many times in Romans 1. The literal, the literal Greek there is he's, he holds it down. You know, when you're witnessing to someone, uh, he, he's holding that truth down in him. He doesn't want to hear it. He knows it. What does Romans 1 tell us? That God doesn't believe in an atheist. God made every man in such a way that he knows he's there. Every man knows God is there. So God doesn't believe in an atheist. And if you encounter an atheist, he's a liar. Because he knows God's there. He's just holding that truth down. And he doesn't want to deal with that truth. He doesn't want to deal with that truth. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Romans 1, that mankind has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I love Jeremiah 9. It says, uh, man teaches their, they, they teach their tongues to lie. Hosea 4 says, there's no truth in them. 1 Timothy 6 says that men are destitute of the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 4 says, men resist the truth and turn their ears from it. And you know John 3, men love uh, the darkness rather than the light. And of course we could insert the word truth there for their deeds are evil. This is why men reject Jesus Christ. They don't want the truth. Their deeds are evil. They don't want to hear the truth. I love how A.W. Tozer says this. A.W. Tozer, this great theologian back in the States, back in the uh, early part of the 20th century, he says, you know, man has, has declared his independence from God. And he's an amateur sovereign. He, he wants to be an amateur sovereign, right? He wants, to, he wants to be cut loose and live his life the way he wants to. And I wanted to say all that to talk about uh, what 2nd and 3rd John is all about. It's about truth. That's what it's about. Uh, the word truth appears over and over and over and over again in these two short letters. And I, I wanted to talk about 2nd and 3rd John because it's a perfect segue to where we're going to go in the coming weeks. You know, we just got through with 1st John and 1st John tells us that one of the hallmarks of a true Christian, one of the hallmarks of, of true conversion is that, that we love the brethren. We love the body of Christ. We love the body of Christ and we serve the body of Christ. That's a hallmark of true conversion. It's one of the, the main points in 1st John. And so I thought it would be good for us to talk about that, to look at that and, and, and challenge one another about how do we flesh that out at the International Church of Milan? How does that affect the way Jim Albright lives every morning when he gets up? And how does that affect the way you get up and, and live your life every morning? What does it look like practically? How do, we, how do we love the brethren? You know, is being a Christian just coming to church on Sunday? <laughs> or is it a little more... Is a little more than that. Is a little more profound and compelling than that. I think you know the answer to that question. But how do we show love in tangible ways? And I saw it this week. You know, I saw it several ways this week. And I'm not going to name names, but I, I saw people who 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 put down their life and they went and ministered. And I love that. I love that. It just and friends, this is what we're supposed to be in the body. We're supposed to love one another and support one another and be there for one another and, co and come running when there's a need. You know? And I know it's expensive. I know it's costly. I know it's inconvenient. But this is what Jesus calls us to. Oh, I think it was a little inconvenient for Him to be incarnate in the flesh 
and get nailed to the tree. He says we're to love one another even as I have loved you, Jesus said. This is what He's called us to, church. And I thought it would be good for us to take a, a couple of weeks and talk about these things. So that's what we're going to do. And I love how 2 John and 3 John just kind of segue into that. Because 2 John's talking about the fundamentals. The fundamentals, if, if we're really going to be able to, to love the brethren, we've got to know that we, we have to love them in truth, and we have to love uh, them according to the commandments of the Lord. God says, my kids, you remember what He said in 1 John? My kids love indeed in what? Truth. We don't just talk about it, we do it. Every day we do it. So we, it's, we, we love, God says, my kids love in deed and in truth. And in uh, 27 verses in 2 John and 3 John, there are only 27 verses in the two books. The word truth, the word commandment, and the phrase abiding in the teaching of Christ, it appears 17 times. 17 times. This is the thrust of these two letters. These are the thrust of these two letters. So this church, ICM, you guys know this. We've talked about it many, many times. But for you new people, we preach, the, we, treat, we preach the Bible. We don't preach anything else. We don't teach anything else. We don't worry about what councils and, and creeds and, and, and other things. We don't worry about that stuff. We don't care about what men say. All we care about is what God says. We're only interested in God's opinion. We're not interested in man's opinion. We're interested in God's opinion. So when you come to International Church of Milan, we will be looking at the truth. Sometimes it'll go down hard and sometimes it'll go down easy. You know, most churches now, they just preach the easy stuff and, and it goes down smooth and everybody likes the warm fuzzies. But friends, sometimes when you preach verse by verse, you hit those texts and they are hard. And if we love one another, we're going to talk about it. We're going to preach it. We're not going to run from it and hide from it. And we're not going to edit God. As we've said so many times in here, we don't edit God in here. We let His Word just speak for itself. I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, the church of the living God is the pillar and support of truth. Friends, you're not going to find the truth on Google. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find the truth in the media at large. You're not even going to find it um, in the ultimate truth. You're not even going to find it in an educational uh, facility. You're not going to find the truth anywhere but in the church, the true church, the truth, the, the church that stands on the Word of God. Now, there are, there are many, and you've heard me say this before, and I don't want to bash people, but what I want to say is I'm going to, I'm going to stand up here and say to you what I believe to be true, that most of Christendom is apostate. Most of what is called Christendom, the vast percentage of what is called Christendom is apostate. They no longer hold to the Word of God. They either have uh, added to it, or they've taken away from it, or they simply deny it, or they simply ignore it. Friends, that's apostate Christianity. Once we leave the Bible, it's apostate Christianity. 2 John 1 through 6. The elder said, Pardon me, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know oh, the truth, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will uh, be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth 
and love. Did you hear? That's the whole message. If you don't hear me say anything else tonight, if you don't remember anything else, love and truth. That's who we're supposed to be as a church. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. Verse 4, I was very glad to find that some of your children are walking, oh, in the truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Verse 5, and now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Here it comes, love and truth. And this is love, that we walk according to the truth, His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the very beginning, that you should walk in. In it. Friends, this is the essence of a true biblical church. It's truth and love. Truth and love. And you can't have true you can't have one without the other in a biblical sense. They will always be together. They will we and we struggle at times to keep them in balance. But we have to love people enough to give them the truth. We have to love them enough to give them the truth. I got two examples. Two of the hardest days of my life. Um uh, there was a young man in the church early on in our early years here, and uh, we loved him. Uh, Karen and I loved him, and we got to know him pretty well and had him out to the house a couple of times. Uh, if you met this guy, you, you would immediately suspect he was a homosexual, and he was. And he, he was in the church for about a year, and I was just, I, I just letting, letting him sit under the Word of God, and he would come to Bible studies and just letting him sit under the Word of God. But I knew, I knew the Lord wanted me to talk to him, and I prayed about it, I prayed about it, and it was one of the hardest conversations I ever started. But I talked to him about it. And you know what he said to me? And I know all the, you know, you know what PC is, right? Uh, politically correct. I know that I'm a Neanderthal in their eyes. I know that I'm a bigot in their eyes. I know that I'm a Philistine in their eyes. I know that I'm a backwoods redneck in their eyes. But I don't care. <laughs> I'm not here to, to, uh, to uh, impress the PC crowd. I'm here to love the body. And I talked to this young man, and you know what he said? He said, no one's ever loved me enough to ask me that question. And he's been in churches before. He'd actually been in a church back in the States that told him it was cool, you know. God's okay with it. You want to be a homosexual? It's okay, don't worry about it. And he thanked me. He thanked me for, for loving him enough. And I, and I said, I'm so glad you understand that's what it's about. Because your life, it's, it's self-destructive. The way you're living is self-destructive. And he said, I know it. And he says, I, 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 said, I said, how do you understand the Bible? He says, I know what the Bible says. I can read the black words off the white page. I know what God says. And he says, I know it in my heart. And he made a profession of repentance. And I still talk to this young man on, on, inter, on the Internet. We still... He, Sometimes he disappears for long periods of time, but, but sometimes he'll, he'll, he'll talk to me. And uh, so we still have the relationship. I'll give you another example. Um, there was a man in the church um, here, and uh, he was our biggest contributor. And so, you know, when you're the pastor and, and, you, and you have the biggest contributor, you always want to make him happy, right? You want to make the big contributor happy, right? Well, not if, not if you love God, right? Not if, you're, not if you faithfully discharge your, your responsibility as a pastor. But he wanted to leave his wife. He just wanted to leave her. He's tired of her, right? He's just tired of her, man. She's driving me nuts. I said, you can't leave her. You made a vow before God. You don't have biblical grounds to leave your wife. You can't leave your wife. 
And uh, there's obviously a lot of tension there. And uh, we still, in fact, I got an email from him this week. We're still friends. Um, he didn't take my counsel. And I think that uh, he's been paying a heavy price for that. But, uh, friends, what I'm saying is we've got to love people enough to talk truth to them. We don't have to condemn them. We don't have to bludgeon them. But we do have to share truth with them if we really love them. Hey, if we don't love them, it doesn't matter. Go live any way you want. It's no skin off my nose. But if we love the brethren, we'll share the truth with them. We'll share the, the truth with them. And I know the PC crowd hates me. But I don't care. I don't care. John says we are to love in truth. He says it right here. What he says to this lady, he says, I love you in truth. Verse 1 there. Friends, that's what we're called to do. Let me uh, quickly, we'll look at verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what you have accomplished, but you may receive a full reward. I really want you to hear verses 8 and 9. God is saying there's, there's a way in which we might lose reward. There's a way here in which we might not receive full reward. What's he talking about? Look at verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And I'm emphasizing that because I'm, I'm going to hammer that in a minute. Did you hear it? Anyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Okay. Continuing. The one who abides in the teaching, uh, he has the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives uh, a greeting participates, gives him a greeting participates in his evil. Let me ask you, friend, do you think biblically being biblically accurate and holding to those truths is important to God? Do you think it's important to God? Or do you think it's more important to God that we just uh, huddle up and, and love one another in an ecumenical sense and just leave truth out of the picture? What do you think matters to God? If you read Second John, you can't come away with any, any other conclusion but that truth matters. The truth matters. In fact, he says right here in verse 9, anyone who abandons the teaching of Christ does not have me. And what I want to say to you, beloved, is that there are many of you here will just pass through. Many of you here will pass through. Some of you come from different denominations, and we don't get into denominationalism in here. But what I want to say to you is there are, there are many denominations today that, do no, that no longer abides in the teaching of Christ. And what I'm saying to you is when you leave here, don't you dare uh, go to one of those churches. Do you hear what God is saying? Do you hear what He's saying? He says, if you abandon the teaching of My Son, I will not be with you. And what I want to say to you, these denominations that have edited God, they've either added to the Gospel or taken away from the Gospel or they're denying the Word of God. The, 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 the denominations that do that, they're no longer a church in, in, a, in a biblical sense. Now, they exist as a quote-unquote church, but not in a biblical sense. God's gone. He's not going to stay. Where His Word's not honored. Where His Word's not held up. Where He's not magnified in His Word. I know that that's a tough, I know that's a tough message. I know that's not politically correct. But this is God's Word. This is not Jim's Word. This is God's Word. Right? Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ is not 
of God. John says, don't receive them and don't even greet them. And friends, if you're sitting in a church, I don't care if it's a Catholic church or a Protestant church, I don't care. If they're not preaching the biblical gospel, you're participating in their evil. This is the, this is the context. This is the, the modern context of this passage. You know, the first century context was that false teachers would travel around and they would come to cities and they'd want to stay in someone's home. And that was the context. In, in the passage, he says, don't let them come into your house, these false teachers. If they don't abide in the teaching of Christ, don't even greet them. If you greet them, you're participating in the evil. And I was thinking about it today when I was driving in here. Why is it evil? Why is false teaching uh, evil? It's the greatest evil. We talked about it a couple weeks ago or last week. It's Satan's best lie. Religion is Satan's best lie. It gets people off God and on religion. It's a lie. Satan loves that lie. Friends, truth matters. You can't read these two letters and not understand that truth matters. And I want to point out verse 8 to you just real quick. He says, watch yourselves that you might not lose what you have accomplished. You might, that you may receive a full reward. What do we understand? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that we are not to be bound together with unbelievers. It doesn't mean that we shun unbelievers. We want to be friends with unbelievers. We want to build relationships with unbelievers, right? We want to get to know them. We want to share truth with them. We want to get their trust. We want to be able to talk about Jesus with them. We don't shun them, but we're not in spiritual partnership with them. Do you understand the difference? We don't fellowship with them spiritually. Now, we, we invite them to come to church. We want them to come to church and hear the gospel. But we don't go to a false church that doesn't uphold uh, the biblical truth. We don't go there. We don't participate in that evil. I know this is a hard message. I know that the PC crowd hates it. But this is the Word of God, friends. And I'm warning some of you, when you leave here, don't you dare go to a dead church. Don't you dare go to a church that's not preaching the full gospel of God, that edits God. Don't you dare go. Because here's the warning. You're participating in that evil. I can't overstate this. I cannot overstate this for you. Right here in this little bitty Second John nobody ever reads is this awesome warning from God. Don't participate in the evil of those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ. This is a huge, huge warning for us. You know what John, pardon me, what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. He says, we're supposed to build how on the foundation? Christ is the foundation. How are we supposed to build? How are we supposed to build? We're supposed to build wisely. But if we build with wood, hay, and stubble, we will suffer loss. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we might be recompensed, recompensed for our deeds in the body at the Bema seat. You guys know this, right? And this is, what, this is what John's saying. I don't want you to lose your reward by participating in evil. This is how serious this is, friends. This is how serious this is. So... God expects you, He expects me to fellowship in a church. It doesn't matter what name's on it. To fellowship in a church that preaches this. 
that teaches this, that holds this up, without qualification, unapologetically, without qualification. This is Christianity. Everything else is an add-on. This, if it's not in here, it's not from God. This is God's Word. This is God's Word. And this is why uh, this church, we stand only on the Word of God. We're not interested in the trappings of religion. So, you, as you have long known, those of you who have been around for a while, you know that I'm hopelessly not uh, politically correct. But I don't care. Hey, if one person comes to the truth, that's, that's my blessing. If one person will come out of a false church, if one person will repent, if one person gets a, a bigger glimpse of God and falls more in love with Him, hey, that's worth it to me. I could care less about what the world says. I'm not here to tickle ears. <laughs> and so, you know, if you like your ears tickled, you probably don't want to come back here because that's not what we do here. We talk about real stuff. We talk about God. And we talk about what matters here for these very few moments that we are on this planet. So if you want your ears tickled, um, you probably need to find another place to go because we don't do that here. You know, the church growth experts, they tell us, they say, well, you know, doctrine divides. So don't talk about doctrine. You know, just preach the warm, fuzzy stuff, and you can draw more people. You know, don't let your doctrinal slip show, so to speak. Just preach the warm, fuzzy things, the happy church. Let's just have happy church. Hey, friends, I love happy church. But you know what? Sometimes you come to the Word of God, and it's hard. And, it's, and, it, and it's, it's convicting. And, and God doesn't mean for us to run from that. Okay, but the experts tell us, well, just don't preach doctrine. It, it, uh, it divides. And so just preach that cotton candy junk that everybody likes. Nobody ever disagrees on cotton candy, right? There's one sense in which truth does divide. It does divide the sheep from the goats. It does divide the wheat from the tear. So truth will divide, but it never divides the true people of God. The, the, the true people of God love His Word. They love the truth. And they want to hear it. And they want to be challenged by it. They want to be fed by it. They want to be changed by it. They don't go to church to be religious. They go to church to meet God. And they go to church to be empowered to, to go out to their lost friends and say, hey, I love you, brother. That's a sin. It's going to take you to hell. Friends, this is Christianity. We've got to love people with the truth. We've got to love people with the truth. One important qualification, and I'm done. We love people with the truth in love. This is the other phrase that John uses repeatedly in this text. That we love each other. We love those around us in love. We don't bludgeon people. We love them with the truth. We live in the truth and we love in the truth. Ephesians chapter 5, 2, Paul says that we are, we are to walk in love as Christ also loved us. And we know how He loved us. He laid His life down for us, right? And so we made that application in 1 John because John actually says it, you know, that you're, you're to, to love one another 
and you're to lay your life down for one another. We made that point. We, you know, none of us are going to be martyred in Western Europe. We understand that. Most likely, that's not going to happen. So how do we lay our life down for one another? What does it mean? We love and we serve. We love and we serve. We love and we serve. And that's what the next week's messages are going to be about. Loving and serving. Loving and serving. But the foundation for that is truth. The foundation for that is truth. So in the coming weeks, I will be exhorting you to love the brethren, to love those around you in the truth. There was one way that, that Jesus loved that sometimes we don't think much about. Um, Jesus loved in obedience to His Father. So we could say that Jesus loved in truth. You know, we don't think about that a lot. But He obeyed His Father. He was loving in truth. He was being obedient. He was, he was following the command of His Father. There's a lot more we could say about that. But He was loving in truth. And so God says, My people love in deed and in truth, not just with words, not just on Sunday. My people love in deed and they love in truth. I want to close with 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you are taught by God to love one another. There it is. You already, I don't even have to preach this sermon except as a good reminder. You already know you're supposed to love one another, right? God has taught you that. If you're a Christian tonight, the Holy Spirit is in you and you know you're supposed to be loving one another and serving one another. Like, like it was one of the most important things in your life. Because it is if you're a Christian tonight. But he says, you, God, God has taught you to love one another. But Paul goes on, he says, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And that's what we're going to do in the coming weeks. I'm going to be exhorting you to excel still more in loving the body and loving the brethren. Friends, this is supposed to inform the way you live every day if you're a Christian, every single day. It's not about you, right? Everybody know that? We've said it many, many times. It's not about you. It's about, it's about Christ and about what Christ wants to do through you. That's what it's about. And He wants to love and serve the body through you. So friends, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about it. I, I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this, this coming series because I got real convicted in 1 John <laughs> that I need to love the body more than I am. And I hope you get real convicted. And I hope we love each other the way we're supposed to. And I hope the, the unbelieving world sees it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this awesome warning that You give us. You've made it clear that we're not to have anything to do with false teachers. We're not to have anything to do with any person or church that does not abide in the teachings of Christ. Any church that adds to or deletes from or denies or ignores the truth as revealed in Your Scriptures, that is no longer a church. You tell us right here in Second John that You are not there anymore. They do not have You anymore. Lord God, may we hear that May we apply that personally. May we lovingly share that with those around us. May we take seriously what You say. May it matter to us. May we order our lives around it. May we prioritize around it. May we not just say, oh, that's, that's just another opinion. No, it's the Word of God. It's God's opinion. 
May we receive it even if it's hard, even if it's challenging, even if it, even if it threatens our whole experience. May we hear You, Holy Spirit, bring Your Word to bear on our hearts and on our minds. Father, we know that dead religion is a stench in Your nostrils. We know that it is. All we have to do is read Your Word and we know that it is. Lord, may we be a church that's not just simply going through the motions, but a church that stands on the truth and loves the truth and has a voracious appetite for the truth. We can't get enough of Jesus Christ and His words. May we be a church like that and may we learn how to love in the truth. Teach us, great God. Teach us how to love in truth. Teach us how to speak truth in love. The world needs the truth. We have it. Too often, we're not sharing it. Forgive us, Father. Give us a great burden for those around us. Give us a great burden that, for those around us that need the truth. That we might share it. Lives would be changed. Eternities would be changed. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.